Father, we thank you for today. We gather together in your house on the first Sunday of Advent uh, to open up your word, to see what you have to tell us this morning. I pray that you would open our spiritual eyes, open our hearts to see and to hear what you have for us, that it wouldn't just be head knowledge that stays in our, in our brains, but works its way down to our hearts and changes something in our lives. I pray that your spirit would go forth and work in us, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here are some pretty funny examples of people missing the point that I found this week. First up is whoever came up with this marketing concept. It's supposed to work for 24 hours, it says, but you need to use it how many times in that 24 hours? Twice a day. Secondly, is the diner that put this menu together that misses the point of why someone would want to order a veggie burger in the first place. Next, we have the whole point of this treadmill. Missing the point, okay. And lastly, whoever installed the divider in this men's restroom. I'll give you a second to see it if you haven't yet. And... In all these examples, there was someone who missed, some of you are still looking for it. All right. In all these examples, there is someone who missed the entire point of something. In our passage this morning, Jesus makes a couple of bold declarations. And then that when a lot of people read it in their Bibles today, they think it means something that it doesn't. And really, they miss the entire point of what Jesus was saying in the first place. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is the very revelation of the presence, wisdom, and even glory of God. We also looked at how he's always been that revelation of God, the Father, including all of his appearances as the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament, or the Son of God before he put on human flesh and was born as a baby from a human mother and laid in a manger. Because of that, there is no reason for us to be chasing after crazy spiritual highs and experiences where we crave God to display his glory. Not only is that highly dangerous and we're opening ourselves up to counterfeit and even demonic displays of power, but last week's passage and message warned us against that. The glory of God in these last days is revealed in God the Son. And we experience that through communing with God in prayer through Jesus. But since Jesus is the embodiment of the word of God, we also experience it through the reading of God's word. We ended last week with Jesus rebuking Philip who was craving a special revelation of God's glory by telling him that anyone who comes to know Jesus personally comes to know the heart of God the Father. That's still true for us today. That if we come to Jesus in repentance of our sin and take him as the Savior from that sin and the King over the rest of our lives, that begins a joy-filled journey of getting to know God better and better with each day. Like we just referred to, we get to know God better and better through prayer and the reading of his word and study of it to know what it means. That's how we get to know the true God and not one we've made up in our minds or from hearsay. 
It's by going straight to the source of who God says he is and what he wrote down for us through the Holy Spirit's guidance of called men. That deep theological truth that Jesus is revealing in these verses flows directly into our passage today. So if you brought your Bible with you, uh, please turn to John chapter 14. We're going to be picking up in verses 10 through 11. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John chapter 14 or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. Uh, John chapter 14, we're picking up in verses 10 through 11. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. As one biblical scholar points out, what the words in these verses are is a threefold proof of what Jesus just declared. In other words, Jesus made the declaration just before this that to get to know him indeed and certainly equals getting to know God the Father. And what we just read in verses 10 through 11 is the why and the proof of that statement. The first proof is based on what Jesus has shown, not only during these past three and a half years of ministry, right alongside of his disciples, but his entire earthly life as to how he lived his life. So the first proof is found in Jesus' words of, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Jesus lived his life every second of every day since the day he was born in complete obedience to God the Father and God the Father's law and righteous standards. This showed perfection, specifically moral perfection, and an aspect of what it meant to be holy. The only one who has ever existed who is holy is God, right? So Jesus, in living a holy life, proved that he was also God, that he was in the Father and the Father was in him. In addition to that, we read throughout God's word that not only was Jesus's completely obedience to God the Father's law and righteous standards, not only was he completely obedient to God the Father's law and righteous standards, but he was also completely obedient to God the Father's plan. We read in Paul's letter to the Philippians that he was obedient to what God the Father's plan was all the way by going to the cross for our sins. He knew all the torture that that would entail for him and even beyond what was normal for most crucifixions. And yet, he knew the Father's plan and he obeyed it perfectly. That proved that the Son perfectly showed what the Father's plan was and the Father's plan perfectly was shown through the Son's perfect obedience of it. Again, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. That was the first proof, that to know Jesus meant to know the Father. Jesus perfectly showing God the Father's heart, God the Father's holiness, and God the Father's plan. The second proof was the words that Jesus had said, both in personal conversations with people and in public sermons and times of teaching. As Jesus says next in verse 10, all of the words he said were not of his own initiative, but came directly 
from the Father. In other words, in direct context of this verse, anything Jesus said, anything he made statements about, and indeed any bold declarations he made about himself and about his deity flowed out of him from the Father. So the second proof that to know him meant to know God the Father was that anything Jesus said came directly from the Father and was what the Father wanted the people Jesus was speaking to, to hear and to know. And the third proof that to know Jesus meant to know the Father was the works or the miracles that Jesus performed, as mentioned at the end of verse 10 and in verse 11. The miracles that Jesus performed could only be done through God the Father working through him. We've talked about these already relatively recently, but think about these miracles that Jesus performed. These weren't just simple magic tricks. Jesus had caused an already dead girl to come back to life. He had multiplied a few loaves of bread and fish to feed tens of thousands of people, not once, but twice. He had walked on top of storm-crashing waves. He had commanded an entire notorious sea storm to knock it off, and it immediately did. He had healed thousands of people from all kinds of impossible physical diseases, blindness, and the inability to walk from birth, and even exorcised multiple demons out of multiple people with one word. And as we talked about not too long ago, he called a man who had been dead for four days back to life. Absolutely, none of these miracles, among others not mentioned, would have been possible had it not been God the Father directly working through God the Son to perform them. This third proof is what also gives the abundantly clear purpose as to why Jesus did these miracles in the first place. It wasn't just to get people to think he was cool and start promoting him on Instagram and TikTok. It was entirely evangelical. The whole point of his miracles was to point people to believe in the power of God and to believe in him as God. That's what Jesus is getting at in verse 11 when he says, Believe that you can know the Father by knowing me. If nothing else, then, by remembering all the simply, humanly impossible miracles I performed. Jesus next reveals something that would and, show, and should blow his disciples' minds. That working miracles would have a place in their lives as his disciples and the ones who would carry on and carry out his gospel message to the ends of the earth. Verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. As noted by one biblical scholar, similar to the threefold declaration of proofs Jesus just gave, there's a twofold message about working miracles in verse 12.
The first teaching of this twofold message is that just as Jesus' disciples saw him work miracles, they would be given the power to work miracles also. That in and of itself is just mind-blowing, isn't it? There were philosophers and teachers who were supposed to carry uh, uh, philosophers and teachers who had had disciples, and those disciples were supposed to carry on and carry out those teachings for hundreds of years. That had existed for hundreds of years. But never before had a teacher with disciples promised those disciples that they would be able to do similar miracles as he had done. That was just unheard of. But here's where we come back to the entire purpose of Jesus' miracles in order to understand what Jesus is getting at in verse 12. The whole purpose of Jesus' miracles was not to just be able to do awesome miracles. It was always to point to faith in him with an evangelistic purpose. In the same way, Jesus' disciples were going to be given the power to also work miracles, but it was never to be seen as having any purpose other than to simply point people to put their faith in Jesus as Savior and King. That evangelistic purpose and message is what is carried through to the second of the twofold teaching on Jesus' disciples working miracles. When Jesus says in the second part that his disciples would be able to work even greater works, he's not necessarily referring to the works themselves, but the effect and the impact of those works. So in connection with our opening to this morning's message of people missing the point of something, a lot of people will read this verse, verse 12, and think that they should simply be given the power to work miracles even greater and more mind-blowing than what Jesus had already done. And so they pray and they cry out to God for the power to do that. But they're entirely missing the point. That is not the point of this at all. The emphasis is on the greater effect of the evangelistic message of the miraculous works. Why is that? Because of how Jesus ends verse 12. How does he end verse 12? He ends this verse with the phrase, because I go to the Father. It's all reliant on that phrase right there. Because I go to the Father. After his death and resurrection, Jesus will be ascending back to heaven and going back to the Father for the time being. In his stead, he will commission his disciples to take his gospel message to the ends of the earth. Who does that also include? Us today. And an aspect of this preaching of the gospel will be the power given to work miracles in order to prove the power of the gospel. It won't be to just show how spiritually gifted someone will be. It will be only to back up and prove the power of the gospel message of repentance and salvation found only in Jesus and Jesus alone. Again, the effect and impact of the message of the miracles is what is emphasized here. As noted by one biblical scholar, the disciples would end up taking 
the power of the gospel message shown by the accompaniment of miracles all over the ancient world and throughout this church age all over the world. Peter would end up leading 3,000 people in one day to put their faith in Jesus through the power and effect of the gospel message he preached. And through this way, the effect of the message of the miracles that Jesus' disciples would use would be greater than Jesus' ministry in that way. This continues today, but with the very same emphasis, purpose, and point. Before COVID, we dealt with a mini-series on Paul's writing on spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 12 through 14. We talked about how biblically and within all the context of what Paul is saying in those chapters, none of the spiritual gifts, even the miraculous ones, would cease until Jesus comes back. However, the point is on the frequency with which those spiritual gifts are used, along with the situations they're needed in. One of the gifts the Holy Spirit can and will divvy out is the working of miracles, even today. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. There it is. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues or languages you don't natively know. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. But remember... The whole point of the message of having the spiritual gift to pray for miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit and seeing those miracles actually happening, what is it? What is the entire point of it? It is only an evangelistic message of pointing people to the power of the gospel message of Jesus in order for them to put their faith in him as God, repent of their sins, and take him as their savior from that sin and king over the rest of their lives. And so, because of that, where the gospel message is already firmly rooted, and the proclamation of that gospel is that which needs to continue, the frequency of followers of Jesus being able to pray for miracles and show the power of the gospel message or these other miraculous gifts, and those miracles happening is less. The frequency of those gifts being given out is less. Not altogether gone, but less frequent. And in different places around the world where the gospel message is not yet firmly rooted, there are still reports of missionaries and other followers of Jesus praying for miracles on those miracles actually happening. But the point and purpose of having that spiritual gift of praying for miracles and those miracles happening has, from the moment Jesus uttered the words in verse 12 in this morning's passage through till now and until he comes back, has always been an evangelistic one to point people to put their faith in Jesus in repentance for salvation. It has never, never, ever been for self-seeking or self-promoting reasons. 
Just as many people will miss the point of having the spiritual gift of effecting miracles and that it's never about themselves and always about pointing people to repentance of sin and to Jesus, the very next verse of what Jesus says also gets wildly ripped out of context and misunderstood. Verses uh, 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. No doubt we've read those verses several times. What do a lot of people also miss the entire point of in these verses? Right alongside the same lines as Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Also, usually wildly ripped out of context and misapplied to different situations. What do a lot of people think when they read this verse or the verses we just read in our passage this morning? Usually in self-centered, self-seeking, and self-promoting ways, isn't it? In terms of verses 13 through 14 that we just read, a lot of people will think, okay, I just read these verses. If I ask for a million dollars or a new car or a new house or a better paying job or healing of my illness or condition or attract good things into my life, in Jesus' name, I should get it, right? Or I can do all things like earn that promotion or get that person I like to like me back or make it to the big leagues, or survive this base jump through him who strengthens me. How is all of this self-centeredness and self-focus missing the entire point of verses 13 through 14 and similar to Philippians 4.13? As you always hear me say, it's all about the context, 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 right? That's what helps us understand it. The immediate context of what Paul is saying in Philippians 4.13 is not trying to do something that will benefit us personally. In fact, it's the complete opposite. The immediate context is to be strengthened by Christ to be content with whatever we have. And in whatever situation we're already in. The verse right before it is this. I know how to get along with little. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Do you see how that all of a sudden opens that verse up to a whole new meaning than we maybe even thought of? That suddenly throws that verse into a whole new meaning than what most people assume it means. In reality, it's not about what we want or what we wish was different at all. It's all about focusing on God and relying on his strength no matter the circumstances we're in. Similarly, what a lot of people think verses 13 and 14 is saying in selfish and self-centered and self-promoting ways is completely missing the point of them. Again, 
instead of an emphasis on selfishness and self-centeredness and what we can get out of God, what is the emphasis? It's all hinged on this key phrase in verse 13. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It's all hinged on that. It all comes back to God's plan and God's desires for us. As one biblical scholar points out, the same apostle who recorded these words of Jesus for us that we just read elaborates on this teaching later on in another one of his letters when he writes, this is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything, what? According to his will. Right? He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. That's the elaboration there, though. If we ask anything according to his will, again, context, context, context. It all comes back to the context in which Jesus is saying these words. What is the greater context of what we've been looking at the past few weeks? Jesus' oneness with God the Father and that getting to know Jesus better equals getting to know the Father better, right? That's the overall uh, truth we've been talking about the past few weeks. So, let's logically start there with the most biblical understanding of these verses. So stay with me. Everybody's with me so far? Okay, some of you are nodding. Some of you are just staring at me. <laughs> Through the Holy Spirit, opening our spiritual eyes and empowering us. The more time we spend in prayer and in reading and studying God's word and actually living it out in order to get to know Jesus and therefore God the Father better, the more in tune with God the Holy Spirit we will become. Everybody's still with me so far, right? Okay. The more in tune with the Holy Spirit we become as we get to know the whole Trinity through spending time with him in prayer, reading and studying of his word, and living it out in his power, the more this happens. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So, the more time we spend with God, his word, and living out his word, the more in tune we become with the Holy Spirit, who then transforms our hearts and minds to both know and prove what God's will is. Everybody still with me? Okay. Some of you dropped off. Ultimately, this is what God's will is for all of us who have taken Jesus as Savior and King. Not that I have already grasped it all or have already become perfect, but I press on if I may also take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And what is that? Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do 
forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature, let's have this attitude. And what is that attitude? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man or a woman, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Ultimately, what God's will for all of us, disciples of Jesus today, is for us to seek and for him to grow in us a spiritual growth to a maturity in the fullness of the standard of who Jesus is. Now, let's take that understanding of God's will, ultimately God's will for all of us as his disciples, back to verses 13 through 14. Again, we read that we need to pray in Jesus' name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, right? How has Jesus already declared in the preceding chapter that we covered that God the Father is glorified in God the Son and vice versa? By Jesus obeying him up to and through death by crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and promise of return. All of that is what? It's the gospel message in a nutshell, isn't it? Just as the miracles Jesus promised his disciples would affect, would have the whole point and purpose of pointing to the gospel message, the source of the Father's glorification in the Son, whatever we ask in Jesus' name must be along the same lines. An evangelistic purpose. Furthermore, as we already explored, this is expanded in 1 John to include anything we ask according to God's will, which is a direct result of our repentance, salvation, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the transformation of our hearts and minds by that Holy Spirit to know and prove what God's will is. And what is God's ultimate will for all of us in this earthly life as we also just looked at? For God to grow us into the spiritual maturity and living out of the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, everybody's still with me so far, yes? Okay. Within the immediate context of these verses, along with the context of the rest of the entirety of God's word, what do we learn about how we should understand these verses, verses 13 through 14? That it's not at all about praying for our own self-centered or self-promoting or selfish desires. And if we do it in Jesus' name, we can expect him to just automatically do it for us. It has nothing to do with that. What we learn is that as we get to know God better through spending time with him and his word, and the more in tune with the Holy Spirit we become, the more we'll know, prove, and experience what his will is, and that his will is always for our spiritual growth to maturity, 
that when we pray for things directly related to evangelism and people coming to faith in Jesus, along with things that we can sense through the Holy Spirit are directly related to his will for our spiritual growth, we can be confident that Jesus will answer those prayers. That's what those verses mean. That was a mouthful. But it was the more specific and thorough way of understanding the shorter phrase of praying according to God's will. While this specifies that it will be prayers prayed according to and in line with and in tune with God's will, that Jesus himself will answer in affirmative and positive ways, it also gives us the confidence that this is a promise that Jesus will always make good on. We don't have the empty hopelessness of just spinning a prayer wheel or making offerings to statues or lighting candles and hoping those so-called deities listen to us. We don't have the empty hopelessness of half-heartedly believing in God or some kind of higher power, throwing up a prayer and hoping it makes it past the ceiling and that he's actually listening to us. We have the confidence of knowing that the more we get to know God's heart through prayer and his word, the more we know what his will for us is, and that the prayers we pray in agreement with that will, we have the promise of knowing they will be affirmatively answered in God's timing. You see how it all goes hand in hand with what we've been talking about for the past month or so? We have the treasure of getting to know God's heart through what Jesus already accomplished for us through his death and resurrection. We have the treasure of him listening to and affirmatively answering our prayers through our getting to know Jesus and God the Father better. We have the treasure of him using us and sharing his gospel and witnessing him move in miraculous and powerful ways and bringing people to faith in Jesus as Savior and King. Breaking through decades of darkness, chains, addictions, and hopelessness. We have the treasure of knowing Jesus is coming back for us someday. And we have the treasure of knowing that we have an eternity of blissful joy with him to look forward to. So in the here and now, let us not seek lives of selfishness or self-centeredness, nor rip verses out of context to support being selfish and self-centered and praying self-centered prayers. But let us seek lives of glorifying God living out his will of spiritual growth and maturity, pointing others to Jesus through the gospel message of that faith, praying in agreement with what we know God's will to be, and experiencing and witnessing God move in miraculous and breathtaking ways in our lives and in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these often misunderstood but incredibly powerful verses that when properly understood biblically and in the context 
in which they're written unlock for us how we can have the promise of knowing you will answer positively and affirmatively the prayers we pray in agreement with your will. We thank you that you are our living God. You work in our hearts. You work in situations in our lives. You lead us. You guide us. You convict us. You stretch us and you grow us and you empower us. We thank you for being the living God, the one true God whom we serve, who is constantly at work in our hearts and in our lives, bringing us all to the goal, your goal, of what your will ultimately is for all of us, and that is the spiritual maturity of the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would continue to work in us, continue to bring us along to that goal. We know that you promise us that he who begins a good work in us will complete it when you come back for us. And we we're grateful for that. I pray that if we've been praying in self-centered and selfish ways, that we've seen the error of that, and that we will start praying according to your will and in agreement with your will that we may all continue to grow in our discipleship and our spiritual maturity. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name.